The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn presents... I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. You know the feeling when you're pretty sure something's not right, someone is not being good to you, but you also don't trust yourself to make the call or speak up. And maybe you just swallow a horrible situation at work until you just can't anymore. A lot of us experience this spidey sense, this frustration, when we're in a toxic situation. And that's why I loved Beanish Shah's advice column so much. It was called, Is It Toxic? And people could write in their specific situation and Beanish would judge it for them, right? She would say, this is definitely toxic or well, I don't know, but here's how you could work on this. And in our conversation today, she's going to help you and me work through some situations, tell us if they're toxic, and most importantly, how to respond in the most strategic and helpful way for your own career. Toxic managers are a very common thing, and they cost real money. According to Ivy Business School, toxic managers divert people's energy from real work, destroy morale, impair retention, and interfere with essential tasks like cooperation and information sharing. Their behavior, Ivy says, like a rock thrown in a pond, can cause ripples distorting the organization's culture and affecting people far beyond the point of impact. But Beanish's take is different. She says toxicity is organization-wide. It's organizational behavior, even though we often treat it individually. Because it's behavior that the organization tolerates or doesn't, that the organization rewards, or that it shuts down. Our conversation is rich and helpful. And I want to acknowledge that Beanish passed away in December very suddenly. I had the honor of working with her and knowing her for many years, and I'm glad that her work lives on. So here's my conversation with Bina Shah and a special highlight about why Mean Girls is corporate America, according to Bina I am so curious why you have decided to write and help people talk about the concept of toxicity at work. In the last several years, we've seen this like increasing rise of toxicity, even though we have publicly been in a world where many employers are talking about embracing diversity and inclusion, talking about embracing, you know, employee health and mental health. And what I've found is that In some ways, we've all learned how to say the right word that helps us not get into trouble in the workplace, but the environment that people are working in has become increasingly difficult in a way that prevents people from growing or leading lives that are healthy, not just in terms of like, oh, it's difficult because I have a difficult boss. 
Okay, I'm going to ask you a question that I get asked all the time. Feel free to push back. Sure. Do you really think that workplaces are more toxic, or is it that we now have and feel freer to use the vocabulary around it? I think it's a combination. I think that definitely we have the vocabulary now to say and pinpoint what is happening around us. But I also think we've seen this interesting rise in like the efficiency culture that is all about do more, work harder, do this, that actually puts like less value on the human beings that are doing the work and more value on can this be efficient. And this is a larger capitalism issue, right? Which is that when you make when you make everything about the individual, you stop looking at everything as a collective or as a team. And in the corporate environment, what that has done, it has truly pitted individual against individual versus looking at anything as how are we pushing forward as a team? How are we helping each other push forward as a team? That used to exist, I would say, a little bit more, maybe even 10, 15 years ago, and it's becoming less and less the case. So you're thinking of toxicity in more of like a dyadic relationship versus toxicity of culture or organization and its values that trickle down. I don't think they can be fully separated out, right? Mm. So for example, I'm trying to think of one that's not going to get me in trouble. <laughs> so I would say, <laughs> I, of course, want the ones that are going to get you in trouble. <laughs> of course, naturally. Yes. But like, I think it's like this idea of, you know, when you talk about healthy tensions in a workplace, oh, there should be healthy tensions between like sales and marketing and technology. And, you know, they should just all be able to fight it out and like really find the best outcome. Uh-huh. What that is, is that's leadership saying, hey, I don't actually want to get involved. I don't want to be the bad guy. Mm. All of you be the bad guy. And you guys hash it out with each other. But I am going to pit all of you against each other because I want the best outcome. I just don't want to be responsible for it. Versus there's another style of leadership that really gets in the weeds and says, I'm going to help you all hash this out together because I know the outcome I want for the organization and I am willing to take the ownership of what that's going to require. In the scenario where you're having your team fight it out, you're going to develop a toxic work culture and you're going to continue to allow it to perpetuate because everyone's trying to impress you, mm-hmm. the leader. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're, you're creating the culture of putting people versus on the other side, you have a leader that's saying like, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to do this with you. Interesting. Well, everybody wants to be the good guy. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's just not what leadership is. I think it's interesting also that, you know, I was, I was asked this question recently on a podcast about my worst job experience. And I was thinking about how, as a young woman at work, I was constantly sexually harassed mm-hmm. in pretty blatant ways that would never happen today. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that There are certain things that, thank God, people just can't do or say at work anymore. Yes. And that's good. But your point, I think, is that the toxicity has not changed. Like, it's still there. It may even be worse, even though everyone is behaving better on the surface. Yes. Huh. An example of this is like exactly what you're saying, right? There are are certain behaviors that were very overt, like say like 15, 20 years ago. They were very overt. You knew what they were. You just knew you couldn't say anything about them. Yeah. Because, you know, you would you would likely get fired. You would get targeted, all of those things. 
And now what you have is you have all of those same behaviors. They're just not overt and they're a lot quieter and they're done in different ways. Racism in the workplace is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. So we know all the things we can't say. We can't say, hey, you're a diversity hire. Hey, you're a brown girl doing this. Hey, you're an XYZ, right? So we have different ways of saying it now. We have, oh, I didn't think you were that qualified. Oh, that's really articulate. Oh, I didn't know that you were born here. Where are you really from? Right? On all of those things, depending on the culture that you're working in, they are meant to be hurtful. They are meant to take you down a notch. But you are left with no ability to do anything about it because they're not overt. And so what that does is it creates a culture in which like, you know, what is happening, you know, all the bad things that are happening to you, but you can't say anything. It's similar to like being in a toxic relationship Mm -hmm. where everybody else is like, oh, your partner is so wonderful. (laughs) And you're like, no, something, and and you know, just your gut knows something is really wrong. It's just the typical words are no longer used. Yeah. And actually, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the column that you write in the Muse the question is, is it toxic? That's the title of the column, is that a lot of people write in and they say things like, I'm writing because I need to know if this is normal. Like they, Mm -hmm. they don't know. They're like, I think something's off here. This feels wrong to me. But Beanish, is this toxic? Is this normal? Part of that happens because one, again, toxicity, it's, it's this underlying current Mm -hmm. rather than the overt, like in your face, sexism, racism, ageism. It's just all the small comments that are made to you that just chip away at you. And then on top of it, I think that especially like millennials and and frankly, even Gen Z, we're constantly told we're complaining too much, Mm -hmm. right? It's this constant like, well, in our day, like this didn't happen. And I'm like, no, actually in our day, that definitely did happen. It just happened in a different way. And so I think that because we've been told that we complain all the time and we're snowflakes and, you know, we need to understand work culture we just stop and we say, is this happening? Am I the crazy one? Am I the one who's not able to understand? Or like, is this not okay? And most of the time, the answer is, you know, it's not okay. Some of the time, the answer is, it's not okay. But like, you need to understand, like, how did you get into the situation? Mm -hmm. And how do you want to leave? Let's define toxicity. I think toxicity is an environment that purposefully holds you back and creates the lack of psychological safety when you're at work. Psychological safety is knowing that you can speak up, you can say something, you can give an idea, and you'll be heard and respected even if you're disagreed with, and that you will not be targeted simply because you spoke up. Or shamed. Yes. So toxicity is a behavior. It's a set of behaviors. I would say when I talk about toxicity, I talk about a pattern of behavior, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than a one-off instance. Right. Right. Because anyone can have a bad day, right? Like someone can be really mean to you on a day because they had a really bad day. Something happened that they're not talking about. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, was this a one-off or like, are you doing this consistently? Because if you're doing it consistently, you have a pattern of behavior. If it's a one-off, you might have had a bad day. I love that point. I love that point because I think that, you know, 
ironically, in a psychologically safe team, you can have a bad day and snap at someone and then come Mm -hmm. to them and say, I'm so sorry. I did not sleep last night. Right. And so I think it's important for people to feel like if they're listening and thinking, well, wait a minute, does this mean I have to not be human? Do I need to constantly police my behavior? Do I have to be nice? I'll never forget when I interviewed Amy Edmondson and she said, psychological safety is not about being nice. Right. It's not about always please and thank you. It's about lack of shame and the freedom to be yourself. Yes. And it's about understanding that we are all human and be willing as, again, as a team, right, to put in that work. The workplace is a professional environment. And I think one of the most interesting things that, that I think really feeds into this idea of toxicity is that we've told our workers, our teammates, our employees, show up as your full self. And when you show up as your full self, you are shamed, you are punished because there are certain things that like people don't want in the workplace. And so I think part of this is like when we make those blanket statements and we invite people to, you know, be the loudest voice in the room to show up as who, like all of who they are, they will do that Uh because they don't know that there's a professional boundary that goes with it. And then they get shamed for it. They get punished for it. They get targeted for it. We have to get better at defining what we mean when we set expectations in the workplace. <sighs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. One of the things also that I think is really interesting about what you've said in your work is that people, bosses especially, can be toxic with a certain person and yet not toxic with other people. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think this goes back to like, you know, Bosses are human beings. It's just very funny that we think about all of this often in like in this academic sense where we take the human out of it. Yeah. And that's just not how any of this works, right? We start to use words like resources and workplace planning, but we're talking about people. Yeah. And bosses, just like anybody else, they may like you, they may not like you, they they may have a personality fit that will never work with you. And in those moments, I think what the important thing is to understand whether they're truly targeting you. Or is this really just not a fit? Right. Because if it's really just not a fit, you don't want to be in that situation because it's always going to be difficult for you because that person decides whether you're going to get a promotion or not. So <laughs> if that is the case, you need to figure out how to move to a different team. But if it's really just targeting to you because they have taken a particular dislike to you and they're just making your life harder for the sake of making it harder, that's toxic. That's toxic. Maybe this is an impossible question, but is there a litmus test for toxicity? I definitely have been in situations where, also because of my personality as someone who's like a little conflict averse, very easy to blame herself and a people pleaser, you know, I've been in toxic situations where I've been like, I'm pretty sure this is toxic, but I think it's also my fault. Yeah. Are there guideposts, guidelines that you can offer up to the audience that almost like a self-assessment that they could ask themselves if they think it's toxic, but they're not sure? I always, like I said, I look at patterns, right? So I have in the past, I kid you not, put things into a Google spreadsheet. Really? And been like, is this really happening? So what I'll do is like, if if it's a certain person or if it's a group of people, I identify who the people are, and then I will write down the actions that I keep seeing happening. Like, what are the moments in which they're happening? Because, again, visually, it'll show me a pattern. 
And secondly, from a legal perspective, it's just good to document everything if you feel like you're in a bad situation. So that's just a good thing to have. But just visually, it'll give you an idea of like how many times this is really happening to me so that you don't feel like, is this in my head? Mm. Is this something that's truly happening? And then the last piece of it is like the motivator of it. If the motivation is clear to you Mm -hmm. in sense of like, hey, this person, you know, wants my job or doesn't like that I was hired or is racist or sexist, right? That is an easy like, okay, there's a toxic environment that I'm in. If the motivator is unclear, I think that's where a little bit more digging needs to happen because there's been situations where, and I've written about this, like I've had a boss, more than one, who just was really, really hard on me. And it turned out it was because she was trying to save my job because somebody else wanted me out. Wow. And, you know, and in other cases, when the motivation isn't clear, then after a while, I realize it's insecurity and it's deflection because that person needs a fall person and I get to be the fall person. Again, it's the chart the behaviors, chart the people, and then figure out the motivators. And that'll give you an idea of like, is it really toxic Uh or is it just that it's not a good fit for you? I'd love to get any stories or examples you want to share, but one of the examples in your column I found really powerful was a a woman who wrote in, she was in a sales role, and her boss was pressuring her to go out and basically party with clients, which is a pretty old school sales technique, right? You take mm-hmm. take your clients out for, you know, dinner and drinking and whatever else. And this woman had been assaulted, I think, in college and said, you know, I don't like to be in environments where people are drinking a lot and, you know, it feels out of control for me. She told that to her boss and then he used it against her in a meeting. Yes. And really crossed a boundary. And she felt both pressured to please her boss and just so anxious in the situation you read that and you think, I can't believe that's happening. And yet examples like that happen all the time. They absolutely do. Another one that caught me off guard more than once that has come in is people will tell their bosses about their mental health diagnoses mm-hmm. and their boss will use it against them, right? Mm-hmm. So like, oh, you're just reacting that way because you have anxiety or you're just responding to this way because you have PTSD. It sounds like you're triggered Mm. as opposed to understanding that somebody who has, you know, any type of mental health diagnosis, if they're coming to you and they're telling you that, there's a decent chance that they're managing it, right? There's a decent chance that they're aware enough that they know when they're being triggered or when they're being anxious versus having your boss use that against you and say, oh, what you're coming to me with isn't real. Mm-hmm. It's actually just your your mental health. That's the issue. And I think this is that the idea we were talking about before, right? Which is when people say come as your full self, mm-hmm. you have to understand that when you come as your full self, the person in front of you is still a human being and they will, if they're not kind, good people, which not everybody is, they will use it against you in some manner. I don't love that that's the world we live in. I wish that was not the world we lived in. When you're talking to employees, it's an important thing to to remember because when we're employed by someone else, we have to think about, hey, is this information that I'm going to give to you going to hurt me or help me? Right. And it's an unfortunate analysis, but it's one that I think is an important one that we do. I guess that leads to a question of, how do we know if it's safe 
to reveal intimacies about ourselves or vulnerable parts, right? Is there almost like an anti-toxic test that you should sort of pass or think about in your head before before you do? Because, you know, I think we've all had that experience where someone has used a confidence against us in a manipulative or damaging way. What's your advice to people who maybe are thinking about disclosing something like a mental health situation? From experience, I have found that when you're any type of minority in that environment, it is always going to be less safe for you to make those disclosures. Mm. And everyone has talked about unconscious bias. We know what microaggressions are. We know what not microaggressions are. But the thing is, when people are uncomfortable with you, they will use whatever you give them to make their point about you. Hmm. And so, like I always tell women, and I definitely tell this to women of color, vulnerability for women of color and women in the workplace is a trap. Hmm. That is it. It's nothing more than that. When someone says be vulnerable, it doesn't work for us because we're already considered emotional. We're considered, you know, like we have imposter syndrome. If you don't have imposter syndrome, then you're condescending all of this. So there's no winning in that. I once had a CEO scream at me repeatedly (laughs) because I kept giving him answers to questions he wanted answers to. And then I finally was like, I I'm not unsure what you're looking for because I keep saying this to you. And he was like, that's what I wanted. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I wanted you to, to admit that you don't know the answer. And I was like, sitting there and I was like, oh my God, am I being yelled at? Because I actually was able to answer your questions. And he was like, Binish, I just need you to be more vulnerable. I need you to admit that you don't know the answer. And that's the moment where I was like, oh, my competence is the problem here. That's interesting. And I think vulnerability is just another ask of women and minorities in the workplace to be like, hey, give us the thing we can use against you. And again, I don't like that that's the case. I just want to make that really clear. I'm not saying that's how it should be. It's just many people have the experience that that is how it is. Wow. Okay, so I'm taking this in, obviously, through my own lens, right, which is Mm -hmm. that of a, a white person with a lot of privilege. but. You're saying that the kind of vulnerability that maybe you would exhibit in saying to your boss, hey, I'm going through a hard time right now. I have a lot of anxiety is ill-advised if you're a woman or a person of color in a workforce where, what, you're either there aren't that many of you? Like, are there any qualifiers? Because that's a very strong statement. It is a strong statement. And it's one I've gone back and forth with for years. (laughs) If when you're in an environment where you truly feel supported and you know when you're supported, mm-hmm. right? There's no, there's no qualifiers I can give, but we're emotional beings. We know when we feel supported and when we don't. When you're in an environment when you feel supported, I think it's safe to say those things. Mm-hmm. When you're in an environment where you're not supported, expressing any kind of vulnerability that is personal is going to put you at risk, Right. You hear this from from new parents, especially new moms all the time, when when they're in an environment that isn't particularly friendly to new moms, being a new parent is held against them, right? When you're in an environment where you are the only person who has to take care of their parents, other people around you just don't understand that, that information is held against you. So anytime you need time off or you can't get something done, everyone's like, oh, well, this must be why. And you're like, no. 
And so I think it's this idea, it's like, it's not just a mental health issue or a parenting issue or any of those things. It's across the board. If you have a personal scenario that makes you feel like you would be vulnerable, I would not bring that into a workplace that is not supportive Mm. of you. Time and time again, it just gets used against you. And again, it is an unfortunate reality. And I think when you realize that's what's happening, you have to make a call of, hey, do I want to be here or do I want to go somewhere else? And I'm not saying it's an easy call to make that because not all of us are privileged enough to just quit a job and move. Like I, I hate when people say that, which is just like, why don't you just quit? Well, because not everybody can, right? <laughs> but what you can do is you can make a plan. Mm-hmm. You can make a plan of, okay, this isn't healthy for me. I don't like that I cannot share parts of my life here, that I cannot share who I am here. So with that, I need to make an exit plan. I need to find my way out into a place where I can do those things. So all the advice that people like me give about, you know, feeling free to put (laughs) your therapy appointment on the calendar or share that you're going through a difficult time does not equally apply. It doesn't, but you know, here's the thing though, Maura, like I think it should apply. And I think the work that you do is really critical for leaders and managers to understand, Yeah, right? Which is that the onus for this is not necessarily just on the employees or the team member. The onus for this is really on the managers and the leadership to be better at managing and leading so they are more empathetic, that they are more compassionate, and that they stop, you know, allowing this behavior of shaming people and of targeting people and of using their personal lives against them. There's kind of like a meeting in the middle that needs to happen, which is employees need to be empowered to be able to be vulnerable. But in order for that to happen, management leadership needs to get better at honestly being better leaders. No kidding. (laughs) Sometimes managers fear they're going to get dinged also for their vulnerability. I mean, that's the problem is this stuff flows upstream and downstream. But but I do always say that the onus is not on individual contributors or people who don't have legitimate power and influence in an organization to disclose anything, because that is dangerous. The onus is on people with power and influence. I think that you hit a really key point on like what toxicity really is. It's it's organizational behavior, mm-hmm. and we treat it like individual behavior, right? We treat corporate culture as culture, as like a nice to have, <laughs> or something we should just do. We should get ping pong tables. Really, what corporate culture or organizational culture is behavior. Yeah, it's behavior that you tolerate, that you don't tolerate, that you promote, and that you shut down. And I think that we, you know, when you put it away in this like nice to have ping pong table bucket of culture, you don't realize that what you're developing is operational risk. Your people, your managers, your leaders, your employees, like every single worker across all levels, those are your biggest assets. They're also your biggest vulnerabilities if you don't get it right. And if you don't get that mix right. And I think that if we can start to treat toxic workplaces as operational, reputational, and legal risks to an organization, leaders will step up more and faster because that's part of corporate strategy. That's no longer, quote unquote, employee well-being, which puts the onus on the employee. It's a corporate operational issue. Maybe we should stop companies and shareholders and boards buying out toxic leaders with giant contracts. That might be a start. 
I mean, if we could do something about that, I think a lot of us would be happier. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. I was thinking about this in the context, this is this is a silly anecdote, but you know, there's a lot being written about how toxic kids' sports are in communities, you yeah. know, and how it gives a lot of parents a license to behave badly. And one of the things I love about my community is that our town and club soccer team is town-sponsored and the leadership of that league is very, very positive. They don't yell and they never shame refs or kids. Mm. And it has created a culture where parents on the sidelines of our town, they don't shame, scream at, humiliate, or hurl verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. Other towns, I am horrified at the parental behavior. Yes. And it always makes me think that leadership has the biggest role in modeling what is okay to say and do and what is not. I imagine that you're telling me the reason it works is there's accountability, right? So when a parent does hurl unnecessary language, both the town and the parents hold them accountable. Well, and also the leadership says over and over, here's what we believe. Here's what we don't believe. Yes. I think the thing that we are, are severely lacking in, in corporate America is accountability, yeah. right? And, and by the way, when I say corporate America, I mean all. Mm -hmm. Go down to nonprofit, you want to do NGOs, you want to do you know, tech startup. It, this is across the board. The idea that you need to hold yourself, your leaders, your managers, and your employees accountable to the culture that you want to see and set, right? So that when you have a leader that is behaving badly, you don't just sweep it under the rug or just be like, oh, well, you know, we can't replace them. It's too much. Or I really need this person because I rely on them too much. No. If you do that, then remember this. A players can always leave and they will. Good employees can go get a job wherever they want and they will leave. You know, the quote unquote B players, and I'm using, I know, corporate, corporate <laughs> language, but like the B players, tend to stay, and then they end up hiring what are considered C players. And then you will end up with an organization that doesn't have the top tier talent that you wanted it to have to begin with because you as a leader decided to allow that like kind of rot to start within your organization 
And it's hard to stop it when it happens. You really then need to bring in somebody external and give them the leeway to clean up house. Like these are problems that you have to nip in the bud. Once they start, it's much, much, much more work to make them go away. It's true. Okay, so I have a toxic boss. Okay. <laughs> I like my job. I like my teammates. It's this one person who's making my life miserable. It feels like they're singling me out. What do I do? I think the first thing is like assessing where, whether they are singling you out. And again, this goes back to pattern. And then what's their motivation for singling you out, right? In that assessment, it's important to see like, am I actually meeting expectations? Am I doing my job? If I'm not doing my job, are they truly singling me out? Or is there something else going on that I need to assess? How do I find out if I'm doing my job? if my boss never gives me any good feedback? Well, I think that you need to look at like, okay, here are the tasks that I was given. Here's how my boss responded to my tasks once I completed them on time versus this is how other people in my team reacted. And if my boss was not happy, but my team members were all like, oh my God, this is amazing. There's a disconnect there. You're not always going to have that. Like, again, this is, I wish this was a science. It's kind of like part art, part science. But that's the way you would look at it, which is that are other people giving me the same negative feedback as my bosses? Mm. And if that's not happening, then perhaps the issue is between like the way that my boss and I work together. And that's the second piece of this is like looking at like what's motivating your boss, right? Again, is it just a personality issue? Like, do you guys just have personalities that clash? And if that's the case, again, that's not going to get better for you. But if it's not a personality clash and if it's just like they make these like underhanded comments to you that feel very wrong, mm-hmm. but you can't quite raise a red flag to HR, that's when you know there's a toxicity situation. Mm. I once had an exec tell me this very fun story, and I don't really mean fun, about how you know people shouldn't take racism so seriously because if someone called this person, like her articulate, she would be so excited because she's always wanted to be articulate. <laughs> and so she doesn't understand why, you know, people of color get so upset when they're called articulate because they should just, you know, they should look at where the other person's coming from. Those moments, when you have those moments, you're like, oh, this is a bad environment. Mm. Right. And I think it's like understanding that those small things that happen to you, those are the things that are making you feel like something is really wrong. That's what's making all the alarm bells go on in your head mm-hmm. because you're never going to find the big thing. Like by the time you find the big thing, you're already at the place of whether you're quitting or they're firing you. That's usually the only exit plan is they're going to fire you or you're going to quit. So you want to see the red flags before so you can decide your exit on your own terms. I think it's interesting that what you're saying is sometimes there's no smoking gun and we yeah. have to live in ambiguity. There's almost never a smoking gun in these scenarios. It's always kind of like a, we know there's smoke and we're looking for where the fire is. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. It's very hard. It's incredibly difficult because like, you know, as an attorney, I always get asked, like legally, this can't be legal. (laughs) And my answer is always like, well, it is. We've taught bad actors exactly how to circumvent our own legal and HR systems. And then we never updated our systems to take that into account. How so? Like how have we how have we created systems that enable? So, you know, if we look at some of the trainings we give for sexual harassment, if we look at some of the trainings that we give, you know, don't be racist, those trainings 
they pretty much say, they're always like, is it okay for you to say this word? Is it not okay for you to say this word? Right? Like, they're not really teaching you how to be a better person. They're essentially saying, hey, don't use this word that's going to get the organization sued. Right. Right. And so what that does is it creates an entire group of intentional bad actors that are like, oh, I can do this if I don't say that word. There's that great scene in Succession when they're at their right-wing conservative gathering, right? It's, I think, modeled after CPAC. And I think it's Roman tells Tom, you'll be in a room full of people who feel free to admit they don't like Hamilton. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And I think that is such a brilliant line because it captures that sense of, I know how to act in a way that won't get me in trouble. And if I were in a safe space, I would admit that I don't like Hamilton, right? It's, I just thought that was very funny. But that's, I mean, that is a perfect example of the environment that we live in, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have some very senior people who know exactly what is going to get them in trouble with it with HR and exactly what to say that's going to keep them very safe and put the other person who's, who's speaking at risk. Yeah, And I think that's what toxicity, again, the, the, the lack of psychological safety is it's a dangerous environment to be in because your career is at risk, right? Like you're, if we talk about this being mental health and burnout, and again, that's like a very, like it, that individualizes it, but we're talking about allowing individuals like this to continue to perpetuate a culture that risks the career trajectories of dozens and dozens of people without holding them accountable. Okay, a couple more practical questions. Yes. If I feel that my team is toxic and my boss is toxic and I'm not the only one who's getting the brunt of their behavior, what is a safe way to approach other colleagues and see if they're also feeling it? So when you approach other colleagues, the thing to think about really deeply is, you know, are they being affected in the same way that you are? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to determine whether they're going to speak up when you ask them to speak up. Mm. Because if they're, if they're seeing it, but it's not truly affecting them at the depth that it's affecting you, they'll clam up when it comes time to speak. Mm -hmm. Because again, they need to save their jobs. Right. And they will use you as a scapegoat to do that. And this goes back to what I was saying about like we live in a very individualistic culture and we don't understand being a team anymore. Like we talk about team players, but we don't know what it means to be a team or a collective. And so that's the one thing I would look at. The second thing I would look at is, you know, if everybody is constantly complaining about this, Mm -hmm. right, to each other, Mm -hmm. I would go to the group and be like, hey you guys, like do you think we should talk to HR and see what everyone's responses are, right? Because if there's an enthusiastic, yes, we need to do this, you're going to be in a situation where it's totally fine. But maybe don't put it in writing? Yeah, never put this in writing. (laughs) No, this is a conversation you have over lunch with your colleagues. And then you guys go to HR. You don't put into an email to HR, like what is happening. You just say, hey, a group of us would like to talk to you. Right. We're concerned. And then you get into a room and then you let someone else speak and then you back them up. Mm. But if you be the person who's going to continuously speak and everyone's going to be quiet, then it's just going to be about you and that's not what you want. And the other piece is like, how close are you to your senior leadership? Mm. Like how comfortable are you going directly to a senior leader and say, hey, these are my concerns. And I would frame those concerns always as like, hey, this is a risk to the organization. Like, yes, I am upset. And yes, this is affecting me, but I want to name that if this continues, like this is a larger risk the organization is facing Mm -hmm. and we should be aware of this. 
Like when I talk about this now, mm-hmm. that is like the first thing I look at. I mean, partially it is my job, like, you know, reputational and operational risk, illegal risk. <laughs> That's the lens I look at it with, which is that, look, toxic behavior is eventually going to lead to a lawsuit or a really bad press article, right? Right. It may not happen today. It may not happen in five years, but I guarantee you when it does, it will be deeply disruptive, if not destructive. And so it's better to treat it as something that could be a strategic problem rather than treat it as something as just like, oh, it's just bad behavior. Right. Right. Or he's been here forever. I can't change anything. Or that's just how he is. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Last question. What if I'm the toxic boss? What if <laughs> what if I've been behaving in a way that's toxic? Honestly, get a leadership coach and get a therapist. Because toxic well no, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, toxic environments turn everybody toxic. Right. Right. Like I have been in places where when we all like when a bunch of us left, we had to take time to like really undo some of the behaviors we had all learned. Yeah. Because we learned those behaviors in order to shield ourselves and shield our teams. But you know, objectively, they were not healthy behaviors and left unchecked, they're very toxic. And so when I'm in a world now, when politics like rears his head, I don't like politics because I don't want to be that person. But it's a reality of life. Mm -hmm. And so I always will have my coach, Mm -hmm. a therapist, and also my best friend who will Mm -hmm. absolutely check me if I begin to behave like the people that I am calling out. Right, because it's insidious. And I think a lot of us who've come up in cultures where toxicity is in the water, we just don't know any other way to act, right? And and some yeah. and we may have that aha moment and it it's a lot of guilt and shame and and anxiety when you realize that you might be part of the problem. I've I've definitely had that experience. I mean, I th- I have too, right? Like I have definitely had moments where I now look back into my management lifespan and I am baffled by why I thought that was appropriate behavior. Yeah. And you're right. It's because we we were working in environments where that was so normalized that it felt okay to do. It felt like the right thing to do. But I think it's like when you have that aha moment, just like with anything else where you have an aha moment, you have to step back and say, how do I how do I fix this? Like how do I be a better version of myself? Because I don't want to be this version of myself. I want to be better than this. As soon as you have that, you already have a step towards like being a better leader and not being toxic because you've, you're conscious of it. But it takes time to unlearn it for sure. It's so funny. I was just, just popped in my head as Lindsay Lohan and Mean Girls because I think that's such actually a powerful <laughs> example. Oh my God. Do I, can I tell you, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm like Mean Girls is corporate America. <laughs> I was like, we have to understand that like, this is actually the like Mean Girls and Scandal, and sometimes Game of Thrones, depending on where you are. Oh wow! Is like a good way of looking at corporate America because you have you have people who want power, you have people who are insecure, you have people who are incredibly good at what they do, but then they're threatening to everybody else just by the very nature of existing. And then you have a popularity contest. You combine all of those, and you have a fantastic teen movie. <laughs> Sounds super fun, Beanish. <laughs> Thank you for your time. It can be. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks. That's it for today. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. 
Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends. I would love you to leave a review because they really matter in helping the show get found. You could also follow us or subscribe. If you have a question for me or you want to submit an idea for the show, find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow me, message me, I promise I'll write back, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the anxious achiever world. Thanks for listening.